All right. Well, welcome back to Sheep Stuff. You should know this is uh, Ryan Mahoney uh, from Maria Vista, California, joined by Dan Macon up there in Auburn. And today we're recording. It's the second week of April is when this will release. And that marks our one year anniversary of Sheep Stuff. You should know, Dan. What do you think about that? Wow. It's amazing. Time flies when you're having fun. I know. We should have a party. We should have a big party. I agree for lots of reasons. For lots of reasons. Right. Right. I'm good. I'm good. How's everything up in Auburn? Dry, but other than dry, which you can't do anything about, things are good. How's your feed growth this year with the dry weather? Um, Short, early maturing. Yeah. We're going to, we're headed out. I've seen, I've seen soft chest, which is one of our better. Um, rangeland grasses headed out at six inches or shorter, which is pretty damn huh. short. Have you, have you seen any, uh, I guess what's, uh, I got three questions in my head at the same time. It's always <laughs> one of my problems, but, um, I'll take the first one. What on is what percentage, how much, how much shorter as a percentage mm-hmm. is the feed overall? Do you think? That's a good question. I would, it would be a wild guess on my part but i would say we're probably three quarters of normal forage production for this time of year somewhere in that vicinity and then of that feed is there pastures that have done better and why i think there are i think there are i think probably it's a soil condition and aspect thing so I think where we've got soils with a little more water holding capacity, um, they've probably grown more feed. You can kind of see that up here. You kind of see that under the oaks. You know, there's more organic matter under the oak trees. And so whatever water we get, it holds on to it a little better. Um, so the feed under the trees tends to be a little taller. What about the... Um... What about like old growth or anything like that where it has a little, you know, where the soil would have cover? Would that do the same kind of thing? It could. It, it kind of depends on the soil and, and what the cover is, I think. Because the cover um, can kill it too if it's just laying flat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where we've got Medusa head, old Medusa head laying over, that's a little rougher site, typically a little shallower soils. Um, we don't quite see the production in those in those kinds of circumstances. I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what our irrigated pastures do. We don't get water till April 15th. And so we're going to have to make one or two rounds over the pasture to catch up with moisture. So is that, is that April 15th? Um, is that a hindrance or a benefit through self-control for (laughs) self-control? uh both yeah both i'd like to have water now because i'd like to be catching up but but it also kind of forces me to to work on the other things i need to get done before we're into irrigation season well and it it wasn't it it was either last year or the year before that um and there was a lot of my neighbors ended up what turning on water like first april into march and then we Mm -hmm. got april rains and right i didn't start irrigating until may i think that was two years ago but um I don't know. I've always, I've always kind of liked that forced April 15th turn on. We, we can turn on earlier. We're, we're running water right now. Um, and I think on a year like this, which is definitely an oddity, um, it'd be nice to have the water a little earlier, but I, it seems like more times than not that, um, that whatever you call it, it's good for the water districts and to sell a little extra water, but it's not necessarily good. You know, putting on water in March doesn't necessarily help. No, no. Okay. And it, you know, in a year like this where we might be short at the back end, I think there's there's some concern there too. Yeah. I have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. So I had a guy tell me um, last night that this is a dry year, but it's not a drought. Hmm. What's the difference in your mind? Is there a difference? Well, um, in California, we live off of seasonal weather. Um, kind of, I, I, I wouldn't say it's not extreme seasons, but it's seasonal weather. 
And because of that, we have a very pronounced wet season. Mm-hmm. So we store water and then deliver that water um, over the course of the summer to the state. And so a drought would be lack of water availability in that storage throughout the summer. Because, I mean, so much of the industry depends on it, ag industry, but then also, you know, drinking water and all that kind of stuff. And so when you see the allocations getting cut so severely, I think that's kind of where that drought situation comes in. Yeah, I mean, those that, that water storage is a good measurement of multiple years worth of weather. And I guess I, that's, I think that's a good point. I see kind of two kinds of drought. There's, there's the regulatory government defined drought, which I think is largely how much water can we deliver in the dry season. Um, But then there's what you and I've been living with for the last six months where soil moisture is depleted, forage growth is diminished, stock water isn't available because the creeks aren't running. And I think that's, to me, that's kind of rangeland drought, which is hard to explain to somebody in town or somebody um, who, who relies on irrigation. We can't irrigate the stuff that, that we're not already irrigating. We can't irrigate our rangeland. And so we, those dry years become droughts for us maybe before they'd become a drought for anybody else. Yeah. Uh, well, I think in the rangeland, especially, it's hard to really define, uh, define, it's hard to define drought legally there because, um, some of our best feed growth years are years where it doesn't rain until April, March and April. And all the way leading up to it, we were in an incredible drought in the dry land, but then right. you got this big giant feed flush, it's very deserty kind of, you know, where you get your, all your growth all at once in a year like that and the the cost to the pocketbook is much higher in those kind of years because of the amount of substitution of feed you have to give um, rather than supplementing Um, and yeah that's tough but i still i I still think that that you look at that water storage and those water allocation things and they're kind of funny numbers to a point because there's so much release um, for fisheries and things now that didn't happen in the past and so um you know, and that's not saying that's good or bad. It's just saying that it is. And when you're releasing more than your storage, you know, when you're releasing more year over year. When demand can, exceeds supply. Yeah, you can come into drought quicker, I guess, yeah. is the main thing. And so it's, and, but yeah, def, definitely, I, I do think those storage numbers really do hold some sway. Snowpack and storage numbers kind of are a combination. Our largest reservoir is the snowpack in the Sierras. And so what that is, is going to be really a good measurement. And that, that we could spend all, all day talking about this. I, I heard a great definition of drought on rangeland and it's, it's a climatic water deficit. So it's not just lack of precip or lack of storage. It's lack of soil moisture. It's increased evapotranspiration because of the warm temperatures that we've had this spring. Yeah. And I think, um, I think all of those things add up to challenges for those of us that are grazing rangeland that other people don't experience. Yeah. I think for me, one of the worst parts about this drought that we're in, um, is the fact that it's coming off of a year where we had no so deep soil moisture right. in our ground. Absolutely. And so you take that no soil moisture. And I mean, we had, we planted daikon radish last year and the, the root was developed, um, for maybe three or four inches. And then it just went to a thin tap root because there was no moisture to fill that root. It had to go deep. Yeah. And, but it never found it just yeah. went down, you know, it'd go down two feet, three feet, but it, there was no, there was no girth to it except for that top one or two inches yeah. where there was some soil moisture. And so then, you, and you saw that in the safflower that was planted around here. None of it took last year Yeah. just cause there's no deep moisture. Nobody's going to plant any this year cause there's no soil moisture. You dig down, four inches and there's nothing. Yeah. And so really drying up that there's a lot of, a lot of water stored in the soil and a lot of your grasses utilize that to, to survive and thrive. And yep. where you don't have that, that's not going to be, that's not going to show up in a, in a water reservoir no. table, no. but it'll show up on that rangeland for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 
I totally diverted us as normally happens, but um, oh, it's all right. We're only ten minutes in. <laughs> plenty of time to write write this back to whatever <laughs> I wanted to talk about. Um, so yeah, I I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk a little bit. I wanted to revisit wool for to kind of to start. Um, we're sharing right now. We're in the middle of it, and and uh, it's uh, always one of my favorite times of year. And I just wanted to kind of. I don't know. I don't know. I might ramble a bit and ask some questions, but, um, I really wanted to get into the, like prepping up that quality wool clip and kind of re revisit the basics of what makes a good wool clip and, and some of the prep work that you have to do on those use to get them ready and, 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 um, put up a, a good, nice, good, nice clip. And then also, I think, I guess the leadoff question is, is why is it important? I mean, you know, why wool's wool wasn't worth anything last year and a half. We're seeing some life in the market now, but why, why is it worth a, for a sheep guy to, to pay attention to his wool and not just look at it as a pure expense? Yeah. Yeah. That's and even if it is a pure expense, why take the time to be there at the press and make sure the job's done right? And you're talking to a guy whose 2019 clip is still in a warehouse. Yeah. So, you know, that, I think that's a, a very fair question. Do you think it, so I'll, I'll turn that back on you before I answer. Does, is there a size or scale component to your question? Um, I don't think so. Um, it's definitely valid. It, 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 it gets back to what market you're selling into. Right. Um, so much of the wool just gets thrown in a bag and sold at an auction that, mm-hmm. um, and if that's what you're doing on a small scale, um, I still think it's worth it. Um, it, it's to me, I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but to me you have, um, in the U S market, we focus so much on meat and we've really developed the meat market in sheep. And the wool's kind of been a byproduct. And you have these outliers. Um, I think Heli Ranch is a great example yep. of Duckworth. And uh, there's, and then on the small scale, there's just there's dozens of examples of people who have successfully monetized the fiber on the yep. on the sheep. Yep. And to me, that shows that there is a demand. There is there is a a value there. And um, we we focus so much on this meat side, and we've basically thrown the wool away. But back in the 1940s and 50s, the wool was half of the income, right. if not more. I mean, my grandpa, my, my grandpa would talk about his dad when he was working. So me, my great, 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 my great grandpa, um, the wool paid the bills for that, multiple years. Yep. And yep. my, my shearer tells the story of, of people buying ranches with their 1919 wool check. Yeah. 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 The 1920s is when he was rolling. Yep. Yeah, it, it's crazy though because uh, we've kind of we kind of brushed it off as an industry, and and the, I mean there's still a lot of focus paid on it. I might get a little flack for saying that, but <laughs> I, I think you know when we look at when we look at which um, is you go to your meetings and you go to industry organizations and you look at things. It's how can we make more money on the sheep? We need to have more twins, raise more pounds of lamb. We need to uh, have a better carcass yield. We need to have a better, you know, it's all of these, we need to improve the genetics to improve cutability. We need to improve, um, marketability of the intermuscular, intermuscular fat, all those kind of things. And we're missing this huge bit of low hanging fruit. That is wool that grows under standard operating practices that if you just take extra time at shearing and you can, add a lot of value, put up a good clip and it's, and it's worth something. And I think I, one of the interesting dynamics there, Ryan, I think is that, that there's this whole consumer side of demand for wool now that we're kind of missing or, or potentially ignoring as producers. I think there's huge interest in renewable fiber and growing interest in renewable fiber, whether it's for clothing or for other uses. And if we, like you say, if we just took a little time in managing um, for wool and then managing during the shearing process, I think, I think we could improve on our profitability in that part of the enterprise. Yeah. And wool, wool grows, 
wool is a nutritional demand just like lamb is. Yep. And so if you're, if you're taking care of that, you and you're, um, I don't know, if you're, if you're giving it the right nutrition plane to raise a good lamb, it's also going to have energy to grow and put towards its fiber. Yep. And it, and if you continue to manage that way throughout that year, that use year long cycle, um, you'll have a good length and a good strength on your wool. I think wool's a report card on how we did yeah. in lots of ways. I think that's one of the reasons I like sharing because it gives me a look back over the last 12 months as to how, how my management went. Yeah. So like on our, on our deal, we, we, we bought in use from a couple different places last year and mm -hmm. um, we've sheared and there's a, there's a, there's a market difference in those animals wool clip based on where they were from hmm. and it's expressed in length and it's expressed in consistency of the fiber over the fleece mm -hmm. it's expressed in hand to a point um so much of hand is is micron though and then kind of the greasiness and strength uh, of it and it's it was really impressive going through these different bands as we were sharing them and seeing such a marked difference one to one to one and a lot yeah. of the sheep we put them in our production system for a full year we're going to see some really good wool out of those sheep um, just because they have all the potential they have the good fiber they have all that but you can see where the nutritional stress pulled a bunch out of them or when maybe wool mites or something you know bugs got into the fleece a little bit and did some yeah. damage i mean there's a lot of little things that that all play into that do you see um i know when we've bought in sheep that that weren't in our system there's kind of this little production lag where they've got to adjust to our management system and our forage and in our nutrition program and they come back up to the level where i want them but there's that little dip when they first come in is that part of what you're seeing in the wool you think um no i i i think it's no, I, I don't think so. Not, there, there is a little bit of that, but not a lot. Um, a lot of the ewes that we've bought are nomadic ewes that are just moved from place to place wherever they can find feed. And mm -hmm. I think where you see the real dips or drops in nutrition demand are, um, say, they're a heavy bred ewe right. and they're on poor feed in low condition. So we get them in low right. body coastal core and, and bring them up. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen almost every single bunch of sheep that we've bought in I found wool, the, I think they were called wool mites, but the bugs in the fleece, mm -hmm. we found, found them in those, but uh, basically everything we've bought in, we've seen those. What in. do you and do those, to manage that in your, in your sheep? So it's, it's an interesting challenge. Um, so we, we spray our sheep with permethrin twice a year. We spray them right after shearing mm -hmm. and then we spray them again, kind of prior to lambing. Okay. And, um, we do that we do that to keep the external parasites off and those mites, um, it's kind of like internal parasites where if you got a load of, of mites on your sheep, they're sucking the blood out of the skin and they're pulling nutrition and production away from that you. And it expresses itself in torn fibers. You'll see it. If the you start scratching a lot, you'll see kind of shredded wool along the sides. Yep. And that's where you really see it. Um, and so when we buy in the sheep, a lot of times we'll, we'll, um, <laughs> more times than not we won't do anything and then all of a sudden we'll be like oh these things are scratching a little what's going on here and then all of a sudden it's like oh they got i should have sprayed it when we got them gosh darn it so then we bring them in and spray them but if you spray a you that has like an eight month wool clip on it you can't get enough spray to to penetrate through the wool so really your best option would be to dip them uh, we don't really dip sheep in the u.s hardly at all anymore yeah, but I mean that's that's the reason they dip those heavy wooled sheep is to get rid of those external parasites, um, and have that that um, treatment get into the wool and get down to the skin and actually eliminate the pest. So if you're spraying before lambing, what's that? September. Uh, yeah, yeah, September. So they've got what about five months of wool on them? Sheer April first, so whatever April first to September first would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've got less than half a year's growth on them. Yeah. That's about that six months. So April, April, May, June, July, August, September. Yeah. Six months. Okay. They'd have half a, half a year. Okay. 
The other thing we found too on our sheep, um, and one thing that's kind of important on, on wool is the way the wool sits together. You want a fleece that stays together. Right. And a lot of wool, especially when you get into the real fine wools, it'll, um, it'll separate along the back and in the back. A lot of that's body condition. Um, but when you get that over the year, especially running down in the desert, like the Mojave or, um, kind of the Valley, all those kind of areas. And even up here in Rio Vista, you get on some stubbles and stuff where you get some dust. Um, that dirt will sit right on the back of that wool and the dirt gets into that fleece. And that is a huge expense. Cause once you start getting dirt in that wool irritates the sheep, but then it also, um, it basically just destroys those fibers. They get super weak and they, they get all cross fibered and it's just not as, not as healthy. My sharer will, re- will comment on how clean or dirty our wool is, depending on the kind of the rainier we've had. Yeah. Cause he'll go through combs and cutters faster on dirty sheep. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I mean, these spring rains are always so wonderful for washing them off. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I really like getting that rain. We didn't have that this year. But then we've also, we also kind of three, four years ago, we started kind of coaling based on that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I'd mark those and then we'd get rid of them. And, um, that, that really improved it because there is a genetic disposition to having that wool lay open or stay yeah. tight. I mean, that's one of the beauties of that Merino breed is how tight the cap of that wool is around that whole sheep. That's one of the reasons it keeps that beautiful white luster that you have is because when you open that fiber up, you see that it's dirty for a quarter of an inch on the tip. Yeah. And then the rest of it's pure white because that cap is keeping all that dirt and dust out. You know, it's interesting with our longer coarser wool sheep, that part over their top line is kind of how we tell if they're dry enough to shear. Yeah. That they'll part when they're a little damp and our shearer will make us, it just ticks me off, but it's a good thing makes us wait until until that part's disappeared and they're dry enough to shear. Usually we're sitting around April 15th and we have to start shearing at like 11, 12 yeah. o'clock in the morning. Yeah. This year this year we started on April 1st and we're shearing at 7.30, 8 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's Silver no linings. Mo- Silver yeah, linings. there's no moisture at all. It's nice for good long days, but man, it, yeah, it is, this is a weird year. Yeah, it is. Weird year for sure. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we talked a little bit about that. I guess the outside stuff. What about you? Kind of some of the management practices, but um, I don't know. You got coarse wool sheep. What 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 kind of value per head do you think that wool can provide you? You know, it, not in what you're selling it for, but what's it worth? You know, I think I think when when we hit the right kind of market and when we've taken a good done a good job with the use over the year, um, you know, that wool can be worth $10 a head for us. Our, we don't shear as heavy a fleece cause we've got smaller sheep and in coarse wool, coarse fleeces don't weigh as much as the fine wool fleeces, but, mm-hmm. um, I'll take, I'll take $10 a head in revenue any, any day of the year. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, where we may have an opportunity that we're leaving on the table is to do a little more, direct marketing than we do currently. Um, which yeah, I guess that's kind of the question I'm getting at. You know, you take your kind of wool and you put it into a, put it into a market that would take time to develop, but it, you know, what, what's that, what's really the value behind that coarse wool? You know, what's it really actually worth? You know, you can realize maybe five to 10 bucks on it just from doing it and, and five mm-hmm. bucks a head on a sheep operation is a good, that's good. Fa- you need it. <laughs> Yeah, take it. Right, don't right. don't ignore it and throw it in the trash. Don't right. be lazy and get zero. You know, yep. work a little bit and get five. Yep. But um, but I think but there is more upside potential to it. Yeah, there's a huge value there, and yeah. um, and I know on the fine wools they're worth more. They ours ours are worth um, I don't know up upwards of forty fifty bucks a head. I think is what you can act, what we can realize um, right now, and I think the upward potential of the markets there i mean it can i think it can go up from where it's at especially when you look at the worldwide shortage of fiber and yep everything and i think i think one of the potential opportunities for sheep like ours you know i think i think the commodity market is largely based on fiber diameter 
which doesn't tell the whole story of any fleece. Absolutely. Yeah. That I gets, that get really gets to that point about putting that wool up, right? Right. Because if you, how do I, how do I say it? So, um, there's so many ways to take that point, but yeah, absolutely. The fiber, there's so much to wool. There's the, there's the micron, which is what everybody looks at. And it's a legitimate thing to look at. It's the most objective measurement you can put on wool, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it, and it, there's that differentiation at 22 microns of next to skin wear versus not. And so that yep. it's important to be aware of that. But um, strength is such a huge factor. All of this stuff gets spun into yarn and all of that yarn breaks down over time. And the stronger your strength test is you have, there's substantial value to that. Yep. Um, what's some of the other may one, it, the way you pack the bag. So if you have a 430 pound bale and the bag costs 13 bucks and the bag taste takes up the same amount of space in a container, to a processor or in a truck to a processor as a 275 pound bale, that 425 pound bale has a 30% greater value mm-hmm. on your shipping costs. Just that right there is could add value to the, just the way you bag the stuff. So how would question for you? We've always, we've never had a press when we bag our stuff. And so um, I've been trying to gain enough weight that I can compress the wool a little better, but, but there's a limit to how much weight I can gain. Yeah. Um, how would you, how is a small guy like me going to get those bags prepared more effectively? Uh, Cadbury eggs. <laughs> eat, eat a lot of them. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll start my training half, regime now. Half a dozen a day for the next 12 months and okay. you'll be there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, it, that, that's all that that's all, those are all great questions. Um, access to press is, is huge. I know, um, some, I know Roswell Wool, Roswell Wool, who's wool broker around, they have a kind of a mobile press that they'll bring around and they'll repress stuff if they can and things yep. like that. Yep. Um, and then most shearing crews have access to a press or know someone that has one. So if you're a smaller operator, um, you need to, you know, find somebody who can help. And then um, the other thing is, is not being afraid to, to, maybe pull your wool or store up multiple years worth of wool. Wool doesn't spoil as long as you keep it dry. Right. Um, and dry, you know, so in a concrete barn with some boards underneath it and it'll last for multiple years easily Yeah. in the greasy form. And so, you know, if you're a smaller operator, save up three or four years and then press it into a big bale might be one way to go. Yeah. Um, but then also when you're dealing with those small volumes, what a great opportunity to experiment and, and you know, go buy yourself an old washing machine at a thrift store and start washing your own wool and, you know, well, you know, and I, that's, you figure know, out what you, you can get your wool into, learn what it is. Yeah. And I, we've done a little bit of that. You, you mentioned the 22 micron cutoff. I've got a sweater that uh, Dr. Rosie knit out of our wool for me and it's 26 to 28 micron mule wool and it's it's next to skin wear it's soft enough to wear now i may be a little unusual and that i wear a lot of wool and so itchiness may not bother me as much as it would somebody else yeah um but i think again it just highlights to me that 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 objective measurement of microns is important but it's not the only criteria to take a look at i think yeah no i mean that, that yeah uh, elasticity is huge. The way yeah. that stretches and bounces back is luster. huge in the fiber. Luster, the yeah. the the hand, which yep. is a very objective measurement because it's based on your own sense yep. in your skin. Yep. Um, you know the hand of a wool, um, yep. which is why you can't measure. That's why they do micron fibers. But right. Um, right. Yeah. There's just there's so much to wool, and if you're gonna start marketing it or realizing some value for it you need to take care of it through the year you need to put it up right and you need to understand what it is let me ask you a question about taking care of it through the year 
one of the things that we struggle with with where our sheep graze. Do you do anything special to manage or avoid veg matter contamination in your wool? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> drought years, nope. <laughs> Get everything we can. Um, but yeah, yes, you, you're we're in pretty consistent grasslands where we're at, and so you know the feed that we have. We're going to pick up burr clover burrs in the hills, no matter yep. where we're at. You pick up jewelry. Um, get them stored before it heads out. You tend okay. to not pick it up. So okay. anything that gets picked up would be shed out because it's so short. Okay. When, it, when it's going to seed, that's why we shear when we shear is for filling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and ryegrass seeds too; they can get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once again, that when you when you get to shearing, so no, you look at your natural grasses and make sure you're shearing at the right time for the seed heads and seed load that you have because VM's an issue. Um, but then the other side of that is, um, work a skirting table. And that doesn't mean you have to have a skirting table. That just means you need to be aware of that wool and kind of skirt it properly. Mm -hmm. And the larger number of sheep you have and the larger your lot is the less exact you have to be, Mm -hmm. but skirting involves basically taking the, the legs off. And so if you have burrs, their burrs are going to like the burr clover that we'll get, it's on the legs, it's on the belly and it's on the face a little bit. Yep. And so when you go to skirt that wool, so to say, you take the legs and the belly and the face off and you'll get rid of 85% of those burrs. (laughs) You know, we started doing with bellies and tags and top knots. Hmm putting the bottom layer in our container garden oh yeah not the way we don't get gophers up in the containers and i don't have to dig as much soil to to cover it up yeah that's pretty smart (laughs) i like that we so we 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 bet we bag and we bag and sell our tags yeah in our in our in our so we'll when we shear we sort the bellies from the tags and bale them separate and we'll sell you know i think we got four four or five bags of bellies and mm-hmm. six or so bags of tag last couple of years the tags worthless, but, um, historically, I mean, you'll get 10 to 10 to 30 cents on the tags and yeah. you'll get, you get more than that on the bellies because there's markets for all that stuff. And yep. we look at that fleece value, but once again, there's all these other products of this wool and it's just about knowing the value. I mean, if, if you got smaller numbers, those, tags and bellies aren't worth separating and bailing because it would take you 15 years to get a full bag. Right. Um, and that really, those products are commercial products. There's not a lot of niche products for that. Yep. But, but there's a lot of cool stuff. There's some, I've seen some like pellets made out of tags before, like garden pellet things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's all sorts of neat things. Montana state did a, a project looking at making mulch for, roadside revegetation projects and erosion yeah. control i'll be darned and tags yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of value there's a lot of value in all that stuff it's just to me when you look at the sheep it's such an underused part of the animal i mean we focus so much yeah. on meat and there's so much value in that wool that we're not realizing if we could add as an industry if we could add twenty dollars a head on that wool clip and with the predominance of the Rambouillet breed in the U S that's very doable. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you're talking about increasing profitability per U by five to 10%. That's huge. So if Ryan Mahoney was King, what would that look like? How would we do that in the U S? Uh, it always, it starts on a ranch basis. So it, it involves you, you paying attention to that wool throughout the year. Mm-hmm not just ignoring it, not looking at shearing season and saying, oh, God, we just shear them again. Call whoever's the cheapest and get them sheared. It involves paying attention to it. And then it involves when you're shearing, being present mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. at that fleece. Understand what you have and um, not be afraid to... A lot, of, a lot of guys will throw the bellies in with the fleeces that will take so much value from your wool mm-hmm. if you do mm-hmm. that. I mean, and if you go and if you err the other way where you end up taking skirtings and mix it with your bellies, you'll add value to your bellies 
<laughs> and you'll mm-hmm. add value to your main to your main line. Yeah. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta just pay attention to those things and, and do it. Um, and then once you kind of understand what you have, then you could start sorting your sheep into different markets and you can start classing it different ways and having a fine next to skin line and a coarser right. line. And we, we sort our sheep. We'll have like a, we'll have a 21 and a half micron line. That's our main line stuff. And then we'll have a, you know, usually a 22 one or 22 three. That'll mm-hmm. be the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind mm-hmm. of the cutout wool. We in, in past years have sorted our white face versus our black face just because it's very different kind of wool well, too. Well, and you can't, so that that's one thing you can't dye black wool, any other color than black. So right. it can only go natural line. Right. So if you don't separate that stuff, you're confining yourself to a saturated market. Yep. And yep. so if you sort out those wall white wooled ones, then you can use that all white wool and dye it any color. And now you've opened up your markets. Yep. And that's just simply running a cutting gate before you start. Yep. It's yep. not, not a lot of extra work. It's about just understanding what you have and, and doing it right. How many, so you, you have a crew come in, but how many days before the crew gets there, are you starting to get set up and organized for shearing? Um, <laughs> this year it went, everything's gone so rapid this year. It's hard to <laughs> remember what we did past years. Um, typically it's a two week process of mm-hmm. figuring out where everything is and sorting stuff into bunches. Right. This year we just put the accelerated down and we weaned everything we could in the weeks leading up to normally we'll sort out all our coarse wools and stuff. And we just, we did it all at the press this year because mm-hmm. it just, mm-hmm. we didn't have time to do all the, all the other work. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to have a good long summer. We'll be able to fix a lot of fence and it'll be a lot easier workload, but man, this spring has been busy. That's we typically have to haul everything home to shear. We're going to try to figure out a way to shear at the ranch this year, I think, but mm-hmm. that that's a, another complicating factor for us to get everything here. Yeah. And, well, and us too. I mean, so we, well, there's, um, there's value to your shear when you can shear them all in one spot. Yeah. And so we try to bring everything to, we go to two spots because it's just not practical to go to one, but, um, we'll, we try, we always try to shear in two spots. Um, the shears will move and they will go band to band and they will do all that stuff. But, um, you, you, you got, I, I think you got to recognize, you got to recognize your, your shears are made up of persons who are working hard doing a job and you want to make it as easy on them as possible. So they do the best job for you as possible. Yep. Um, I I'm, I'm always shocked at how many of the shears or the press crews or any of those guys call and tell me how they just, you know, nobody shows up at the sharing. It's just the workers. They shove the sheep in and they just, nobody cares. They don't clean up the floor. They just, whatever goes into the bale goes into the bale and that's what gets sold. And I, I really believe that our wool is not the best wool in the state by any stretch, but it sells at the top of a lot of the markets just because of the way we put it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think if producers would put it up that, you know, with that attentiveness to detail, uh, I, I think a lot of people would be shocked at the extra value they realize. You know, t- thinking about taking care of the crew too. I think that's a, it's a similar philosophy at our scale, but maybe a different approach. Um, but things like making sure we have one typically have one guy shear all our sheep. Um, and at the scale we're at now, if it's just him, he'll do it in a day. He's going to train somebody this year. So it'll take two days, but making sure that sh- at our scale, he's never waiting for sheep. He's, he's shearing as fast as he wants to shear because he's always got sheep to shear that um, we're taking care of him at lunch um, you know, it's kind of it, at our scale, it's more like a calf branding probably than, than at a, a larger scale. But, um, for all intents and purposes, our shearer has retired from most other jobs, but he'll come still, still come shear our sheep. I think partly because we take care of him. And I think that's at our scale, that's a really important factor, you know, have a, a good place to shear and, and take care of your crew. Well, I think, 
it's important to recognize that sheep shears are craftsmen. Yeah. And it, it it's a dying art. Yeah. And when you hire a shearing crew and you don't show up and you don't pay attention, that expresses to the work to the shears that you don't care. Yep. Which makes them not really care. Yeah. Because if they go a little slower and they take no second cuts and they take, you know, and they don't don't nick the sheep or anything like that they get paid less than the guy that goes faster that takes all the second cuts yep. and nicks the sheep and does all that stuff because the boss isn't there and doesn't care. Yep. And you know, or not just the boss, but you know, the people that are involved, the sheep that it is yep. uh, don't care. And so it's really important to, I don't know, to, to respect the craftsmanship and really, you know, show some appreciation for the really good shears. Um, and then also, uh, you know, be there. And when you start seeing things slip or, you know, they're leaving leg wool on or, or um, you see they're nicking a, a sheep up a little too much or something like that, you, you can be there so you can talk to the um, crew boss or the shear and, and get them to change those blades if they need to change blades or get them to, um, if yep. they're yearlings and they're kicking too much because you didn't overnight them right, um, you know, learn that that's your fault, not the shears, <laughs> you know, uh, learn, learn what you're doing. So you can, so you can prepare that clip properly so you can get the most value out of it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, a, it always amazes me how you, these economics, um, the economics encourage good husbandry in yeah, this, right. everything in livestock. Right. You take care of your sheep and you prepare them right. And you put up your wool clip, right. You get paid more for that wool clip and you make more money at the back end. If you don't, you end up with a poor job with poor handling with, I mean, it's all connected it all and a poor paycheck. So we, we have on occasion um, had smaller producers than we are asked if they can bring their sheep to our place when we shear. Cause it, that way we're splitting the setup cost and, and all of that. Um, and I have stopped doing that for the most part because in some cases, those other producers don't take their wool seriously, and so they're not overnighting the sheep, and um, they're they show up late or all of those things. And I don't want to lose my relationship with my shearer because I'm doing a favor to a, to somebody that doesn't take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's important to know what you got and yeah. pay attention to the the work and and i do want to i do want to talk I, we're not going to today i we don't got time there's too much to talk about in wool but i do want to talk about work ethic mm -hmm. and kind of um you know things that surround that at some point with yeah. you because i think that's a that's a it's an interesting topic to me it's going to be a little more philosophical but it's kind of fun because there's you know there's there's so much discussion about how nowadays people don't work as hard as they did in the past um, and just to really dig into what, what, what a good work ethic is and yeah. how you engage that to create a better product, um, you know, is, is an interesting conversation that yeah. hopefully, hopefully we get to sometime over the next year of sheep stuff. You should know <laughs> in year two, in year two. Yes. In year two. In year two. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, we're, well, yeah, for our clip, we're excited. I, I am impressed with, uh, with the shearing job that was being done this year. The, the crew that we hired in, we've hired them in every year for a long time. And the um, past couple of years, the, the quality has gone down a little bit. And then this last year, this year, um, they've done the best job I've ever seen them do. I mean, oh, they're great. really, really taking their time. Uh, doing a really good i mean you see that artisan craftsmanship and the crew the guys that are there a couple of them have they started training two or three years ago and now they're just hitting their prime and really going really strong and, and doing a good job and uh, yeah it's always just really exciting to see so. how many stands do they run uh they can run as many as 16 if they needed to but it's a wow. it's a land plant where they set up just they oh, okay. add corrals okay um we've been shearing with nine, I think okay. eight or nine, but then they just added two more stands. So I think we're like at 10 or 11 right now, um, today. So that's a big production. 
Yeah, the wool comes flying at you fast. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet. And yeah. one one skirt table and one classer. So we don't have a skirting table actually. So the way it's supposed to work is the pickers inside. You got a picker and a I don't know. A, we call them Rouseys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the term is. Yeah. Um, anyway, picker and a raker, basically. So you yeah. got um, they they separate the bellies. They shear the bellies first in the style they run, and then um, you throw those out, and then the fleece gets picked up. And when they pick that fleece up, all the heavy stuff and leg wool should go down at the bottom, and then it just takes a little sweep of the hand to throw most of that out, and then it goes okay. on the table by the press. Then at the table at the press, me or Justin are there and where um, we basically take that fleece and we re-examine it. So you take it and throw it a little bit, yep. pull out the skirts, wrap it in a ball and throw it in the press. So that's, we shear in a bullpen style. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's usually eight U's in the pen, somebody catching for the shearer. And then our process, once the wool comes out, is very similar. He'll throw the bellies and top knots in the corner. We'll put them, we'll separate them out. And then when the fleece comes out, we'll we'll throw it shorn side down to drop any second cuts out of it and skirt it. And then it rolls up and goes in a bag. Yeah, I want to get a, I've been, I've been threatening to build a skirting table for the past couple of years. And I think I might finally do it when we're done shearing. Um, I want to get a circular one. Yeah, that's that can rotate. Maybe, yeah, that way we can set it between the the um, shears and the press, and we can throw the fleeces on, spin it, skirt it, and then roll it to the next guy and have maybe two sides going. Yeah. So that way you can have two guys working the wool. Yeah. And um, get through it a little quicker because the wool does come match pretty fast. And there's there's a lot of second cuts and a lot of like dag and stuff that needs to come out when you're doing that press because it's just when you especially when you get like um, you know when you get over ten guys there's just so much wool going through there's there. There's always wool coming. There's out. a lot of sheep moving, and so yeah. when you're picking it up, it's hard to really do a good job and skirt it when you're picking because you're pressured to get as much as you can out and so if you go and you throw those skirtings down right on where that shear is shearing the shear gets mad at you so yeah you got, you got to get there with the rake quick and it's yeah. just yeah it's a lot of work so keep the boards clean and yep yeah just try to go as as fast and as efficient as you can so everybody gets tired by the last days i do have it just occurs to me i've got a great marketing idea that that i think we ought to explore and this is yeah is based on evidence at our own place. Uh, my border collies will eat every dag that drops below the skirting table. Yeah. So I think a line of dog snacks would be appropriate. So I heard, do, do they have any, you have any problem with them eating wool? Not really. No. Not really. That's good. The, the but, dag's all right, but like lamb tails and stuff, they can, they can have some trouble with lamb tails, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure our guard dogs eat the eat the lamb tails because we're yeah. banding. Yeah, that's right. Well, that won't be as big as when we is when we right. dock. They're a little older. So. Right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, a little dog treat. <laughs> Just don't let your dog lick you. Yeah, a little sheep poo dog treat. <laughs> <laughs> they like the fresh ones though. I don't know how you're gonna capture the freshness. Uh, that's tr well, you know, our dogs are not as discriminating as your dogs. Oh, that's apparently. good. That's good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that, yeah, I think that's, I think that covers most of it. I, and there's, there's so many, I could talk for hours on wool and, and, uh, the details of what we're doing, but, um, yeah, I think just, you know, pay attention through the whole year. Don't ignore your wool. Be present at the shearing. Understand your wool clip. It's just, it's the basics of business 101. Yeah. You know, un understand your product, understand where you're selling it to. Yep. Um, don't be mad about pricing. Just like figure it out and then figure out where you can go to get better pricing rather than just get mad that you're getting no money and giving up on it. And take care of your crew. Take care yeah. of the people doing the, doing the craftsmanship. Yeah, take in that, and that all comes back to work ethic and taking yep. pride in what you're doing. You know, yep. be 
Yep. Don't don't do something just for the check. Do something for the check and the pride and everything else. You know, you want the quality of what you're doing. Yep. Yeah, you want to you want to produce a good thing. So. I think I, th- this opens up the oper- the idea for me of maybe interviewing the guy that shears for us at some point um, to get a, a shearer's perspective on all of this. I think that would be really interesting at some point too. Yeah, it would be. That would be. Maybe I'll tell him that's a condition of, of staying at my house the night that he shears here. Those guys love talking too. Shears <laughs> are full of good stories. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It would be good, especially on some of like the, just the simple, I mean, you know, the simple preparations of overnight stand and, you know, do this, but like some of the etiquette things about how do you, how do you keep a table clean and how do you, you know, yep. how, how, how much do you invade their space yeah. <laughs> without making them mad and yeah. some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, you got to really balance all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing. I, I can't, I, I'm always amazed at how, if, if, um, when I'm there at the press and they're shearing, they do a good job. And if I leave and come back, the quality drops. And I think it's really important for, you know, producers to recognize that uh, they are aware of if you're there or not and they yeah. want to do a good job. And so, you know, don't be, don't be, uh, you know, don't ignore it. Yeah. You know, en- engage with it. Make sure they know that you appreciate the good jobs when you see it and all that kind of stuff. So, yep. That's yeah. a great point. Great point. Well, will I see you in Tulare on Saturday? I will indeed. Uh, the big old Ram sale. The 101st annual yeah. California Ram sale. And that's on the 10th, right? It's on the 10th. And at the, 10th the... the 10th is our official anniversary. Well, so. we might have to. We might have to record some sound bites to slip into future podcasts there. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Or we'll just meet at the bar and, and enjoy the <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, that might be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that'll be fun. Well, we're real good, Dan. Um, yeah, I guess you got to take us out this time. But yeah, it's this is a good conversation. I appreciate your time in this morning. As always, as always, thank you. And uh this is uh, Sheep Stuff You Should Know. I'm Dan Macon up here in Auburn in the Sierra Foothills and Ryan Mahoney down in Rio Vista heading out to the shearing site here pretty quick, I'll bet. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, Ryan. Sounds good. Take it easy, Dan. Thanks, John. Bye. Thanks, John. You're welcome. See ya.